0: Hello from Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News. Welcome to Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. Clark Corbin is on vacation this week, but don't worry, I'm not going it alone, and neither will you. I will be joined in a few minutes by Melissa Davlin, the host of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television, and we're gonna talk about the politics of Medicaid expansion and how the possible Medicaid initiative could affect election results and election turnout come November. We'll get to that conversation in just a couple of minutes, but I wanted to walk you through a a few headlines from this week. A new national study came out, and it revealed that Idaho teacher salaries lag among the lowest in the nation, and in several categories are the lowest in the nation. Some of the grim numbers from this report, for all teachers, not counting post-secondary teachers, Idaho teacher salaries rank lowest in the nation. For kindergarten and pre-K teachers, again, Idaho salaries rank lowest in the nation. For special education teachers, Idaho ranks second lowest in the nation, ahead of only Maine. These salaries are calculated based on cost of living differences between the states. The study came out uh, earlier this week and was done by the Brookings Institution's Hamilton Project. And yes, the Hamilton Project is named for Alexander Hamilton of Hamilton fame. If you go to my blog, you can read about the numbers, and you can also link onto the Hamilton Project's interactive map so you can look at the numbers for teacher salaries and for salaries for more than 300 professions. In other headlines, the numbers are in, and most high school principals received high marks in their annual evaluations. That's according to data obtained by Idaho Education News from the State Department of Education. According to the data released by the state, 97% of high school principals received high marks in their 2017 2018 evaluations. Now, the numbers are heavily redacted, so we don't have numbers for most smaller school districts, and we don't have numbers for most charter schools. But we do have numbers for 41 school districts, and again, 97% of principals received high marks. As you may recall, we've been writing very uh, very extensively over the past couple of years about teacher evaluation data and some inconsistencies in that reporting process. Devin Bodkin has our report about the principal evaluations. You can see the report and the numbers at idahoednews.org. Also, Devin Bodkin sat down recently with Kevin Satterley, the new president at Idaho State University. Satterley comes to ISU from Boise State University, where he was a top administrator, Satterley talks about the fiscal crisis facing ISU. Enrollment has been dropping, and that's been driven largely by a decline in the number of Middle Eastern students attending the Pocatello campus. To hear more about the challenges facing ISU, and to get to know Kevin Satterley a little, little bit better, check out our profile at idahoednews.org. Meanwhile in Boise, six candidates are going to be vying for three seats on the Boise School Board. That election is coming up. On September fourth, two incumbents are running for re-election: Troy Roan and Maria Greeley. You have four newcomers running for trustee seats, including Brandon Durst, a former state senator from Boise. But one prominent name will not be on the ballot on September fourth, and that is A.J. Belukov. After twenty-one years, Belukov is stepping down from the school board, retiring. I had a chance to sit down and talk to Belukov about his years on the school board and also about the 2018 gubernatorial primary. As you recall, uh, Belukov ran for the Democratic nomination for governor. Former State Representative Paulette Jordan won the nomination. You can see my profile and my interview with uh, Belukov and some video from that interview, again, at idahoadnews.org. And now, our interview segment. It appears that Idaho voters will have the opportunity to decide the issue of Medicaid expansion when they go to the polls in November. It's not official yet, but supporters of Medicaid expansion believe that they have gathered the necessary signatures to put the Medicaid expansion question on the ballot. So if that happens, what's the butterfly effect? How does Medicaid expansion affect voter turnout? And how does that affect other elections like the governor's race and the state superintendent's race? To break that down, I sat down with Melissa Davlin. She is the host of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television, and she has reported extensively on the issue of Medicaid expansion, and recently she was one of three Idaho journalists to receive a fellowship from the Association of Healthcare Journalists to further examine rural healthcare. She's one of the fellows, along with Maria Laganga of the Idaho Statesman and Kimberly Kruse of the Associated Press. I'm joined now by Melissa Davlin, the host of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television. So much we could talk about. We could talk about World Cup. Right. We could talk about running, and we could lose what little listenership we have by talking about running.
1: It, it would be a really good running podcast. It, it would be if, a if, great if running heard.
0: podcast, but it would be a terrible Idaho political podcast. So we're going to focus on politics. And what I We're really, going to talk
1: about other people running.
0: Other people running. Different types and, and of running. Right. Running on ballots and how how everything kind of fits together. It's kind of a, a butterfly effect segment that I wanted to talk about. And I really wanted to have you come in and talk about the Medicaid expansion issue and how that plays into all of the elections that, that we'll be looking at in November. And I wanted to bring you in on this because you follow this issue so closely. And it's an issue of, life and death for thousands of Idahoans and and you're, 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 you know, you're covering that issue and and this is a public policy issue. And I know as we're talking about it today, we're going to, we're going to downplay those, that aspect of the issue and and not to diminish the importance of it as as a human health issue, as a public policy issue. But what I really wanted to do is talk about the the politics of it. We've got this initiative on the ballot let's start there. I mean, you you've, right. you've been following this process that got this onto the ballot, which in itself is a big step.
1: Well, and, and I'm not going to lie. I and I think many other reporters who have been following this were pretty surprised when they came out and said we have met the threshold because it is a it is a steep hill to climb thanks to the 2013 Idaho legislature. Mm-hmm which I think was still smarting after Props 123. Right.
0: It was a, it was a direct reaction to the propositions.
1: Absolutely. And so um, we, we are still waiting for the official word from the Secretary of State's office. The signatures were delivered um, a few days ago. Um, but, but let's assume that they're right. You know, mm-hmm. let's assume that there is going to be Medicaid expansion on the ballot Um, As we've seen in the last couple weeks, this is turning into a nonpartisan or bipartisan issue. Representative Christy Perry is now the Mm co-chair of the Committee to Expand Medicaid, you know, the the pro-Medicaid expansion. Um, And that strikes me as pretty interesting because it reminds me of so many superintendent races in the past where um, it's been pretty close for Democrats who have wanted to get that seat back in Democrat hands. People are much more likely to break party lines when it comes to a superintendent vote. Um, you look at... But let's, let's stay there for a sure. second,
0: because it makes sense for the, the organizers of the Medicaid expansion initiative to try to make this a nonpartisan issue. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of logic to getting Christy Perry, who's been an advocate on this issue at the state right. house. To, to get her to be the, the public face of this campaign, uh, to make this as nonpartisan an issue as possible. But this isn't that nonpartisan an issue when you get right down to it. I mean, you were at the Republican convention. You heard what the delegates had to say right. about this. And w- w- when you get right down to it, this is going to be a referendum on what the legislature has done, what the Republican legislature has done on Medicaid, or not done on Medicaid, as, as the critics would mm-hmm. say, for the past six years.
1: And, and that's a good point, but remember that delegates to a, a party's state convention are different than the average voter who's hanging out in Chalice or Orofino or any of these scattered communities around the state. As we've traveled the state for Idaho reports over the last several years, consistently what we hear are the biggest problems um, that – County commissioners are concerned about that citizens are concerned about healthcare is right up there. It comes mm-hmm. down to access and, and affordability and retaining doctors and what to do about the uninsured and the underinsured. Um, so, so, I I obviously take seriously what the the delegates said at that state convention where they said they roundly reject Medicaid expansion and. You know, going so far as to say they encourage the legislature to overturn Medicaid expansion if the voters pass it.
0: Potentially but, painting Brad Little in a box if he's elected governor because he has said that he would honor the will of the voters on this. But he
1: has not said if he is going to vote for it himself. He said mm-hmm. he's not going to weigh in on it, which, you know, uh, he's he's trying to have it both ways here. He hasn't said what voter Brad Little is going to do in November when he's in the box. Um, it... So, so, like I said, I, I take seriously what the, the delegates did at the state convention, but I'm also thinking about all of the hundreds of Idahoans we've talked to over the past several years who are so concerned about health care, regardless of what party they belong to or whether they're independents. Um, so, it, you know, th- this reminds me, and, and you're going to have to, you know, stick with me here, but it reminds me of so many superintendent races in the past where this really, for a lot of people, is, if not a bipartisan issue, then a nonpartisan issue. People are willing to look at the actual issues when voting for superintendent in general elections, um, just like people are willing to look at the health care issue on its face, as opposed to what the different parties say. So getting back to this year, that could be a really, really good thing for Cindy Wilson, but I think it might actually be a downside for her as well, because you have Paulette Jordan, who's a wildly popular Democratic governor candidate, and you have Medicaid expansion, and those two issues are going to suck up all of the oxygen in the room. And by oxygen, I mean donor dollars and media coverage. Right,
0: right. Yeah, and and, yeah, let's talk about that, because I think the conventional wisdom is that you 've got some some metrics that are looking favorable for Democrats, even in a Republican state. Mm-hmm. You, you had huge turnout in the Democratic primary relative to what we 've seen in previous primaries, and that to a large degree was a reflection on voter interest and voter enthusiasm about pollock jordan 's campaign now you 've got Medicaid expansion on the ballot, which you know the conventional wisdom is this is going to bring out voters who may be more sympathetic to Democrats. Or at Not least just moderates, or, in, or moderates, at least moderates or, right. or maybe more nonpartisan voters who may be more open-minded to uh, a Cindy Wilson mm-hmm. down ticket or uh, some of the other down ticket candidates. But that conventional wisdom is maybe oversimplifying it all.
1: I I think so. So I've I've been crunching some numbers. Uh, one of my favorite things, and I I added up the total governor votes for every single Democratic candidate in the prime in the 2018 primary. So A.J. Belukov, Paulette Jordan, and Peter Dill, who got like 900 votes. Mm-hmm. Good job. And then um, every single Republican GOP vote, um, which, you know, was almost 195,000. And that wasn't just the top three candidates, but all, you know, Lisa Marie and all of those guys, too. So add up all of the governor votes in both the Democratic and GOP primaries, stick with me here, and then add up all of the superintendent votes in the GOP and Democratic primaries, you had a difference of almost 28,000 votes.
0: 28,000 fewer people voted in the superintendent races than in the governor's races.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean that's the size that's a good sized city in Idaho. That, that's that's and a
0: big undervote.
1: That that is, that is people who are going in and voting for Brad Little or Pollitt Jordan or Tommy Alquist and then not bothering to go down ticket and vote Sherry Ibarra, Jeff Dillon, Cindy Wilson, Alan Humble. none of that. Twenty eight thousand people. And, and it remember it speaks
0: it kind of speaks to that political oxygen that we were talking about. Exactly. We had an eleven million dollar primary for governor, when you factor in the Republican and the Democratic primaries, you had, you know, a factor of you know we had you know a few thousand dollars here and there uh, being raised in the uh, superintendents race. So right. no advertising, no yard signs, no, no much of anything, especially compared to what we were seeing unfold in the governor's races.
1: Now, to Cindy Wilson's credit, she has been actively campaigning. She has been gearing up. I imagine we will see that happen even more as we get closer to November. But at the same time, um, that you, it's such a slim margin, right? That Sherry Barra won by. Mm-hmm. You, Cindy Wilson needs every vote she can get. She cannot, and and I don't think it's that she's going to take any of the votes for granted. I think it's incumbent upon Paulette Jordan and the Democratic Party to encourage people to keep voting down ticket. Um, you know, Jana Jones won by. A little more than five thousand votes. All right, sorry. I mean, Janet Jones lost by about five thousand right. votes, and Sherry Barr is an incumbent some, now.
0: Right, running with some advantages that Cindy Wilson won't have. I mean, mm-hmm. it was an open race. If Barr was not an incumbent in two thousand and fourteen, if Barr's campaign made a lot of mistakes in two thousand and fourteen, I, I, you know, mm-hmm. it would not be prudent politically to assume that your opponent is going to make as many mistakes running the second time statewide. Uh, as she did the first time
1: well and and in the debate that we had uh for the primary election sherry abara did much better i i would say objectively than i think mm-hmm. she did in 2014 she's more experienced she's more poised she's more polished she had more specific answers when asked about policy uh no,
0: it policy issues it was a very it was
1: a very very good debate um so you know, in, in the 2014 general election, the superintendent race was arguably the banner election, right? You know, it, I don't want to say it was a given that Bachata was going to win in 2014, but, it, you know, that was the one that Democrats were really hoping that they could win, was superintendent. This year, that attention is spread out all over the place. And that's gonna that's a, uh, gonna be hard for Cindy Wilson, and not just Cindy Wilson, but people in purple legislative districts around the state mm-hmm. that have either you know historically been Democrat and have recently been lost to Republicans, or Democrats have a chance of winning, like District 15, right. um, that Dustin Manwaring seat in, in 28 that used to belong to Democrats, the
0: John Rushi rematch in, in yep. Lewiston,
1: exactly, exactly, so. The Democratic Party and Paulette Jordan both have to work together to make sure people keep voting down ticket.
0: And, and it seems too that, you know, the Medicaid expansion issue—it's it, a clearer issue, maybe for voters to have an opinion about. It, it's, right. you know, there's a clear yes or no. There's a clear distinction about. Where you stand on this issue, and and there are voters. I'm sure they're trying to make up their minds between now and November. But when when you get right down to it, you know, it is a yes or no question. Right. Education topics a lot more nuanced. I mean, it's yeah. not as clear. You know, what are the what are the points of distinction that a Cindy Wilson is going to try to make uh, as mm-hmm. a, you know, in, in running against Sherry Barr. It's not as clear cut. Education policy right now is not as clear cut, you know, five years into this uh, task force overhaul, as opposed to Medicaid, where it's a very clear, uh, you know, you're either for it or against it kind of a thing.
1: Right. You're, you're not voting yes or no on education. And and it, it, as I look, though, at past general elections, um, you know, Janet Jones got 41, almost 42,000 more votes than A.J. Belukov in 2014, so that strikes me as a good sign for Cindy Wilson because it shows that voters who were, you know, likely voting for a Republican governor were willing to vote for a Democratic superintendent. Just like there are going to be a, a good number of Brad Little supporters who also vote yes on Medicaid expansion. You know, Christie Perry is the best possible move that Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. team yeah. could have made. She is. Um, you know, a a tried and true conservative. And she has put her neck on the line so many times for issues that um, are bipartisan, like justice uh, justice reform, you know. uh, Medicaid expansion and health care issues are another example of that. Kelly Packer was, um, you know, lieutenant governor candidate who lost. Um, She's another Republican who has been a champion of Medicaid expansion. So that, you know there are there are people who vote for republican governor candidates who who are willing to cross those party lines or those you know and and let's let's go ahead and call it a party issue if the state convention at the state convention republicans said yeah you know we're gonna oppose this yeah they they made it a party issue now but that doesn't mean that all republicans across the state are going to listen to that
0: you were at the Republican convention, so you were there from start to finish, and you know, talk a little bit about the tone of what you heard there, not just about Medicaid, but also about Paulette Jordan, right. uh, some of the other damn ticket races.
1: You know what's interesting? That, that That was the fourth state convention I've covered, so, you know, not a ton, but enough. Enough to get a sense of how they go. And this is the first year that there was so much talk about the Democratic candidates, You know, in in 2016, there was a lot of booing about Hillary Clinton and everything. They were trying to get people excited about Trump. And this was right after Trump had secured the nomination. And Idaho Republicans weren't that thrilled about it at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, This year, there was a lot of talk about Paulette Jordan. And that stood out to me. I have never heard so much talk about Democrats at a Republican convention um, most you know, to be fair, in twenty fourteen they were too busy fighting amongst themselves to talk about much of anything else. But or, or accomplish much or, of anything right. of you know, no substance. They got through roll call that year. It was fine. Um but but that that stood out to me. And I think that um I've talked to a lot of Republicans who have made it clear that they're not taking anything for granted this year. Again, that would strike me as a good sign for Sherry Yabara, but Yabara wasn't at the convention. Mm-hmm, and there was right. not much talk about Yabara. You know, she was obviously mentioned, but um, the focus was on Russ Fulcher, Brad Little, everybody else who was actually there.
0: And one interesting point, one interesting comment that I, I saw from the convention, Brian Smith talking a, about sort of the, the the butterfly effect but in a different way talking about if there's so much attention focused on Paulette Jordan and so much focus on the gubernatorial race his concern is that it may hurt Republicans down ticket mm-hmm. uh, I, and I don't know how much of that is kind of you know convention coach speak you know where you're trying to get you know you know get people fired up about the other races and to mm-hmm. take nothing for granted or whether he thinks this is a legitimate uh a legitimate threat.
1: In my experience, both statewide and nationwide, Republicans, you know tend to have a much better feel for that butterfly effect than Democrats do. Um, you know, and, and of course, I'm speaking broadly, but Republicans recognize that whoever's in that executive office gets to control things like judicial nominees, gets to control cabinet appointments you know, and, and administrative appointments. And arguably those are more important and have a bigger effect on people's daily lives than who's actually sitting in the governor office himself or herself, you know, same with the president. So though, it, it's not who's there, it's who, it's who that person is surrounding themselves with. Mm-hmm. And, it's the same for the, the central committees and, you know, the, the boring local politics that most people don't pay attention to. Before that Tea Party revolution, no one – they couldn't get people to run for central committee spots. The p- People wouldn't get involved in the local uh, party politics, and, you know, conservative Republicans figured that out, and that's a big reason why they were able to successfully uh, change the direction of the Republican Party. Democrats – nationwide are still figuring that out. And um b- what Brian Smith said, you know, having that on his radar is a smart thing, you know, because that's something that Republicans have understood for a long time.
0: And the last big variable that we've got heading into November is this is a midterm that is uh, especially on the national level and to some mm-hmm. degree on the state level it's going to be a referendum on the Trump presidency 2 years out. Right. We don't have a US Senate race so there won't be as much attention potentially on, on a Senate race where you know the, the balance of the US Senate is is definitely you know much more in the air than the balance of the house. So right. that becomes a factor too that may or may have an impact uh, on the congressional races and the other races
1: but you know you you look at cd1 russ fulcher is a popular guy he won that primary so handily and he he represents cd1 ideologically much like Raul labrador did but you know to be blunt he's more charming he is less abrasive than congressman labrador i don't think um you know and i and i've I, I, Fulcher is one of the candidates who I've spoken with or spoken with his team, and they're not taking anything for granted, which is wise of everybody in this election. Um, but I think both he and Mike Simpson are among the GOP candidates who have the least to worry about this year uh, when it comes to statewide and congressional races in Idaho, um, a, a, you know, compared to like Brandon Wolf, who has. No challenger.
0: Right. He's fine too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Julie Ellsworth probably in, in pretty Julie, pretty solid she, shape.
1: She's probably fine too. Um, you know, the, the it, it's gonna be a fascinating year for education though. You know, as you've talked about so often, I I I, I do wanna say that I was recently in Eastern Idaho in Blackfoot, uh, you know, so in uh, Julie Van Orden territory mm-hmm. and talking to people in the cafe as you know i i tend to do um there there are some people who are really hoping that she runs a write-in campaign and because you know she she lost in a closed republican primary um but there are enough people who are hoping that they could get enough support for her that a successful write-in campaign as an independent would you know it is a possibility um that's interesting. It's, yeah, as far as <laughs> And I can't remember whether... the
0: last write-in legislative campaign that, you know, was successful. It, it's the hard la- to
1: do. In, in, in Idaho, the last write-in campaign that was successful that I know about was in 2016. The Custer County Sheriff um, was an incumbent, and he lost his primary to somebody who I don't think even had a law enforcement background. And uh, there were people who were just like, oh, well, I figured you won, so I didn't even vote. And he had a successful writing campaign and won the general election.
0: But that's a really small that's a sample very compared small to a legislative district. A legis-
1: when you're talking, what, 35,000 yeah. people, um, that's that's tough. But it's, it's something that, you know, people are chatting about in Blackfoot as far as whether it's something Julie Van Orden is interested in, though. That's another story. Right. That's your little news for the day. All
0: right. Well, more than I expected, but... I appreciate you coming in and talking us through kind of the numbers and talking us through the politics of Medicaid expansion. I know you are going to be following this a lot more closely. You have a fellowship to yes. cover this topic in more detail, not just the politics of it, but obviously the human impacts of it. And
1: I, I, I'm so excited about this. I, I just want to give a little plug for it. It's, it's a fellowship through the Association of Healthcare Journalists, and um, I uh, pitched Coverage of this this trifecta of problems that healthcare in Idaho or healthcare um, is facing in Idaho um, the growing population mm-hmm. and you know the, the influx of people who are going to be needing healthcare um, and especially if Medicaid expansion passes right more people who are going to be getting healthcare um, the doctor shortage which is insane yes just insane especially in rural areas um, and affordability. And mm-hmm. how all three of these things fit together. Um, it's so critical. I'm so excited about it. Uh, so thanks for letting me plug it on your education not running podcast. Well,
0: th- 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 those are simple topics, though. I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, it, it's, <laughs> but that's like, what, one 300-word story? i will cover it all. Yeah, no,
1: no, no. It's not like a half-hour documentary on the history of Chinese immigration that I'm oh, also yes, plugging. That, that is, you know, <laughs> we have a new series called Idaho like, Experience. It's really cool. You should watch it. <laughs>
0: Anything it's else edu- you want? No, it's educational. It, 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 it's educational, it does sound very so exciting. I mean, <laughs> we've spoken about it, and uh, I'm excited to see it. Anything else you want to plug? Any races you got coming up? Anything? You know?
1: I no no are, no. no are I'm you, good. You, you, the, the fewer people who pay attention to my races, the better, because I'm really slow. I don't, I'm doing this for myself. Fewer eyes on me, the better.
0: No, I mean, and you know, I try to keep my numbers classified as well. So fair yeah, enough.
1: You're, but you're much faster than I am. No, 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 I <laughs>
0: Melissa, thank you for coming in and and, and walking us through this.
1: Clark should go out of town more often.
0: We'll take that up with him. (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this week's edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. Once again, I want to thank Melissa Davlin for coming in and joining us. Clark Corbin will be back next week, and we'll be back together for the podcast. We'll catch you up on everything you need to know about education policy and education politics. We'll also break down Wednesday's meeting of the legislature's school funding formula committee. In the meantime, follow our stories at idahoednews.org. Follow us on Twitter at News And follow our Facebook page. And we will be back next Friday with another edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. Until then, this is Kevin Richard. Have a good week.